Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? I kind of had it going. Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. He's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? Welcome to the Wolves Watch. I am Dan Radke, and I'm joined as always by Ricky Jim Bruno. Rick, how are you this Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I'm doing great. It's a uh, unseasonably beautiful fall day here in the Twin Cities after some really, really rough cold weather the last week. So I'm out walking the dog, talking wolves. The leaves are different shades. It's a, so it's, I mean, hard to complain, really. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, yeah, we're hopping on. This is the first uh, recording we've done since the season started. So officially, uh, the regular season for the NBA is tipped off. The Wolves have played two games. Uh, they played against Oklahoma City in the opener at home, and then they played last night against Utah at home, uh, last night being Friday night, and then they've got Oklahoma City again coming uh, tomorrow. So... I, this is going to be all over the place. We didn't do a lot of prep for this, but we wanted to get on this weekend now that we've seen some live action. It's great to have basketball back. I know you and I have spent a ton of time not only watching and digesting these Wolves games, but watching a ton of league-wide hoops. Uh, I will say just an overriding league point. The things you and I talked about preseason, about the talent depth in the league, and how impressive so many of these young players are going to be and how many good quality teams there are, the, the first two games of the season definitely bore oh that out. Oh, God, dude. I mean, these the, the effort level that we're seeing that is required to win a game at this point in the year, and this, this is, will be a good segue into talking about the last matchup with the Jazz. One of the particulars of the beginning of the season is that everybody is optimistic Everybody has their best foot forward. Generally speaking, guys are healthier than they will be throughout the year. And even teams like the Utah Jazz uh, that we do think will inevitably fold as the season goes on, they're not in that position right now. And so you're seeing a lot of pretty standard start-of-the-season types of box scores in these games, whether it's you know looking and seeing Utah beating Denver on opening nights, you know, handily, or seeing Charlotte run it up against the Spurs, although you expect them to win, but in the manner in which they won with no LaMelo. So there's a lot of these surprising outcomes. And then, yeah, I just agree with you. I mean, you're seeing a lot of teams, including the Wolves, really have to play their guys heavy minutes early. And uh, that intensity is just... You know, it's it's a welcome for me, for sure. I mean, it's making these games incredibly fun to watch, incredibly competitive. And, yeah, it just goes to show you that whoever comes out on top this season, both the regular season and the playoffs, that's going to be a real achievement because, um, you know, we got to see two of the teams that we expect to be in the bottom five overall in the league in our first two games with the Wolves. And... Uh, you know, these are not these are two teams that played really hard and in the case of Utah last night, a team that has a lot of NBA players. Yeah, I was gonna say before the season I mentioned I was so bullish on what this season was gonna be just as a fan and a viewer. 
because I just don't think you're going to be able to roll into town and and expect a win. You're going to have to play for it. You're going to have to show up. You're going to have to play hard to your point. And I was I was looking at the Utah box score and just kind of looking at this roster and had the plan existed five years ago, six years ago, if you looked at this team, you'd be like, yeah, this is a oh, no doubt. Team. Like pretty firmly a play-in team. You have Clarkson and Conley in the backcourt, Markinen and Olenek, Vanderbilt, Sexton, B. Like there's, to your point, there's just a ton of NBA dudes on a on a team that is believed to be, to your point, a bottom Yeah, as team. currently constructed, um, I mean, they're probably better than the Kings and the Lakers in that kind of range um, in the Western Conference. And I think the Lakers are a good point to what we were saying about what you just said about you can't just roll in. You still hear some talk, and it's dated with the amount of talent that's in the league, of like a team with LeBron and Davis on it, you know, should yield X, you know. And the the truth of the matter is you cannot have a team like that that just relies on two guys and expects and expect to just be able to roll into games and win. And um, it's no. just, it's such a, it's so much to ask. And uh, I think that's a good, good segue though, into this, this game they played last night, Dan, because I think it's a perfect example. I don't, I don't think the Wolves approach was bad. I don't think they came into the game with any kind of sense of entitlement that they were going to win. I just think they lost the game to a team that was playing really hard and shot the ball incredibly well. Um, where do you, where do you want to take it first uh, about the game last night? Um, so let's do this. Uh, it was a 132-126 overtime loss. Utah, you know, playing in Minnesota at the Target Center. Uh, Utah, I mentioned this to you in a text, flat. They no earned doubt. that game. They, they, all, they all played the, t- sure. the T-Wolves last night. Um, I think where I want to start, Rick, and uh, I'm going to be all over the place a little bit as we talk about this team. And, and for anybody that listens to this podcast, I'm going to give you, and I know Rick will do the same, but my unfiltered thoughts at yep. that moment. Obviously, these things can change as the season plays out, but I want to give you my real-time thoughts as to, to what I'm kind of thinking as a fan that's watched this team play 82 times a year <laughs> since you know I was 12 years old or whatever whatever age it started. Um, so the sky's falling. So, well, so let's start yeah. good, and then we'll, we'll yep. move to bad. Um, so and we'll just kind of bounce back and forth. So one of the good things, and I had some, I've been taking notes after each of these games. Um, let's just start with Jalen Noel. Yeah, Jalen Noel, uh, hold current holder of a thirty-five per. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a number that will fall. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I think you know we talked before the season, and and uh, you know we talked about the loss of of specifically Malik Beasley, and then you know Pat Beverly was involved in that trade, obviously for Rudy Gobert, and uh, and we talked preseason about the backcourt, and we said the uh, the backcourt uh, backups. And it was like, you know, Bryn Forbes and Austin Rivers, good veteran additions. They give you some shooting. Jordan McLaughlin has proven to be a good backup point guard. And then you have Jalen Noel. And from a three-point shooting, playmaking, scoring standpoint, we felt could, you know, hopefully fill the shoes of what Malik Beasley did. Yep, the they cleared, well, they think, cleared the runway for him to take the role. Yeah, and good on him through two games, man, to clearly have taken that role oh, seriously yeah. and, and is doing it at an extremely high yep. level. Um the level of confidence he's playing with, and more importantly, this is the thing you and I uh, were kind of driven crazy about a little bit with Malik Beasley, is his shooting was was exceptional, but he couldn't go off the bounce at all. 
at all. And Jalen Noel is more of a point guard style. Absolutely. You know, yeah, he's a guard, combo guard. You know? So sure. it's like a scoring combo guard. So, yeah, so he has the ability to handle the ball, get into the paint, attack the rim, um, and also spot up and hit open threes. So I think, you know, just a huge bright spot for the Wolves. He's just been excellent. Um, and in the minutes he's been getting, he played 20 minutes last night in Utah. And he was the only reason that that game didn't get out of hand in the third Yeah, you kind of just wonder how it's even going to be possible for him to get more minutes on this team uh, without without an injury because he's already, as we saw last night and in the second half of the OKC game, if he's playing at this level, he he took all of J-Mac's minutes um, as as one of the guys getting, you know, backup minutes in the backcourt because... You know, you got Ant's going to get his no matter what. They're going to play through any struggles he has. And frankly, D'Angelo Russell has been pretty good to start the season. And so yes, it has. doesn't, you, you can't really justify playing D'Lo less than 30 to 32 minutes in that range, 30 to 34, you know. And so the minutes are going to be difficult to come by because, you know, and this is one of the points we talk about all the time and why a guy like, Jaden McDaniels holds so much value is you you really can't play Jalen Noel in as many lineup configurations because of his size defensively and so you are kind of pigeonholed to really just playing him back up one in two minutes although we did see them run out some interesting small lineup configurations last night um But he is definitely, he's doing everything you want as a coach or as a fan of the team, which is he's forcing their hand to play him more. Um, And so... He was good defensively last night. Well, and that's the the thing about him is he does try, he has a couple of problems defensively. Effort is not one of those problems, which is fortunate, but he doesn't have a great basketball IQ off the ball defensively. And then he's also just undersized on the ball. Um, but if he's going to play with a lot of effort, you know, that can go a long way to mitigate those things and probably never, you know, turn him into a positive defender. But if you can keep if you know, if he can not be a complete negative on defense, he's a starter level player in the league. Um, and so he's just got to keep doing that, keep playing with confidence, keep attacking. And, you know, what he does well is a really, and I think this can be the next thing we talk about, it's an illustration of what the Timberwolves do well in general. Um, and this is, this is one thing that has carried over from last season into this new group, which is he is a confidence player that excels in transition. And that is something, Dan, that you kind of wondered with us sizing up, kind of leaning more into a you know, maybe like more of a uh, half-court type of offense uh, with with having the two bigs out there. But they've seen the most success by far this year, and it was the same last year, creating turnovers and playing in transition offense. And so, like I said, Jalen Noel really excels in those. He had a couple of really nice finishes yesterday against some really big defenders in Utah. Um, but the team in general, right now, that is, if you want to, you know, there's, they definitely run the full spectrum of things that are A to F in terms of how they're executing right now. One place where they're unequivocally an A for me is transition offense. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And I, the other thing I'll mention too about about playing in the half court versus transition, you're right that their transition uh, game has been very strong. And one of the things, you know, and, and you and I have talked about this for years, one of the things I personally fetishize a lot when it comes to uh, perimeter players defending is an ability to shut down a driving lane and keep your guy in front of you. And last night, Jalen Noel did that really well on a couple of occasions and both times got called for what I consider to be phantom shooting fouls. But he did an unbelievable job at keeping one of them was against Jordan Clarkson. The other was against Mike Conley, but just shutting down the driving lane, keeping him in front and forcing a difficult mid range shot. And really with a guy that you mentioned, you know, based on his size um, and just some of his limitations off ball uh, when it comes to his IQ, like that's where he can really make hay as a defender and make sure that he's not a negative to the team is just, can you be a good on ball defender? Can you do one of these things well enough to where, you know, you're not a, you're not a minus across the board and all these different defensive uh, aspects. And I'll say this about the transition versus half court is the transition has been good. And in half court, and this is kind of a, a backhanded compliment in the first halves of these two oh, games yeah. uh, in the half court, when we move the ball and it doesn't stick, the offense looks exceptionally I mean, damn, good. I mean, they scored like, 40, I think 42 in the first quarter of the game last night. They scored maybe is either 32 or like 36 in the first game, 35, 35. in the first game. Yep. And a lot of that did come from defense turning into offense, sharing the rock. Uh, but what that does tell me, there's a couple of things here, and I think this is probably, again, it's it's one of the A's, but it's also it's something to me that makes me feel really confident that when this group is able to put it together in time, that they actually have the capacity to rip off a lot of games. Is there's not a, there's not many teams in the league that are even capable of going on those Golden State style runs. Where yes, and you saw this at this. I mean, the Timberwolves scored 15 points in the first three minutes of the game, and it was exactly what you see when you see Golden State have a, like a third quarter avalanche, which is all the te- all the opposing team needs to do is miss a shot, and you're off to the races, and you just keep stacking those possessions on top of each other. Maybe it's a Rudy Gobert block, and the crowd is going nuts. Maybe Ant gets a little pick six. Maybe we do a D'Lo does one of his pull up transition threes and he nets it. Um, and just all of a sudden you look up and it's and it's they're just the other team is buried. And so, you know, obviously, and this is the case with Golden State too. Is they if they played like that for 48 minutes of every game, they'd score 300 points a game. You know, like right. it's just like that's not <laughs> how the game works. It's a game of runs. Um, but it's good to at least see that the team is capable of that. Now, that's the glass half full. The glass, you know, glass, there's obviously a glass half empty look at that. But to me, just knowing that that is in the arsenal, which is what you and I talked about when we were so bullish on the Gobert trade, is we're going to have the capability to overwhelm teams at times. It's good to see that even though they are very clearly uncomfortable playing as a unit right now and knowing what to do that when the game is simple and they're playing in transition and they're just getting out there and being loose that it it, it can look dominating yeah let's stay on the good side uh you brought him up rudy gobert um the rudy gobert edition is everything that you would expect the rudy gobert edition to be 
Um, his rebounding numbers are absolutely gaudy in these first two games. Uh, his defense, his ability to alter shots in the paint is the thing that is going to make, I believe, over the course of the season, is make this Timberwolves defense so much more formidable. The reason it's not right now, statistically, is open threes. We give up a fuckload of them. Yeah, as but, good as, Dan, as good as you're saying we are sometimes on the ball, like guys like Jalen Noel, we're as bad off the ball. <laughs> Terrible. Like, worst in the league off the ball currently. But, um, but I'll say with Rudy Gobert... And last night's game was a perfect example. You know, we're down seven with about a, a buck fifty left in the fourth quarter, and a big reason why we were able to mount that comeback was because as Utah, in those last offensive possessions, tried to get into the paint, Rudy Gobert. It wasn't through block no, shots. No, it's just he's just there. Shot step. He's just there, and having him there because, like last year, that same game plays out last year. There's no way we no force chance. overtime in that game. Um, whereas in this game, it's like, well, you may not do it all the time because it's still an uphill climb, but with Rudy Gobert in the paint, it allows you at least the opportunity to put yourself back in that game. So he's been everything that I was hoping for uh, defensively. And to your point about it being clunky so far, the one thing with Rudy Gobert is he is plug-and-play, at least on that end of the Yeah, floor. and I, he's honestly plug-and-play on offense, too. The only, you know, the, obviously the fly in the ointment here is, and it's the reason why people are skeptical of it, is it's just the too big aspect of it because I think – yeah. Pretty clearly, if they just were going to run a spread pick and roll uh, with with him and D'Lo and Cat was swapped out for just a regular... <laughs> well, it's funny because he is a stretch big. But, you know, like Laurie Markkinen, for example, a, a stretch big that gets his, his buckets in the flow of the offense rather than, you know, you want to try to find them looks. Um, you know, I think they would be fantastic. And his gravity offensively and his ability to spring guys loose on um on screens is is elite to say the least i mean there's whether these shots have been going in or not and this is what's encouraging is because if they're not going in it's still great process um is it really doesn't take much for the team to manufacture a good look and i'm very bullish frankly on offensively the front court of him and Cat because we've seen at times just how easy it is for them to get wide open looks if they're playing some type of three-man game with Cat in either D'Lo, Jalen Noel, or Anthony Edwards. The, the amount of open looks that get manufactured simply by a couple of passes in a screen is, it's really elite. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because the team is obviously one and one, and the OKC game and Utah game mirrored each other almost exactly. The difference in these two games was, number one, Utah has more NBA guys. Yeah, on by a lot. <laughs> and number, by a lot. And number two, in the OKC game, the Wolves were able to find a little bit of their, their first quarter magic in the fourth quarter to, to extend the lead back out and win by yep. seven. Against Utah, they could just never find it. Well, so let me ask you that, Dan, about Um, the Utah one. Because I I do think this. um, I think they played a lot better in the Utah game than they did in the Oklahoma City game. They did. Undoubtedly, they played a lot better. Um, I will say this, though. And this is, we might as well get into something bad now because this transitions well. Yeah, transition is a good word, too, also. (laughs) Yeah. So the first game, you're right. They, They played better in Utah in game two. But... A huge difference was Carl Anthony Towns had 10 shots in game one and he had 25 last night. So down the stretch of that fourth quarter, Carl Anthony Towns was, 
he was the offensive fulcrum of everything we did. Um, and that continued into the, into the overtime. And Anthony Edwards, unfortunately, is what got left behind. He did not have a single offensive possession run for him in overtime. In the last three, four minutes of the game, he didn't have a lot of touches either. So we were really running everything through Cat. And I found it interesting that in the broadcast, the way they were framing it is, well, no, this is great because Cat being so aggressive and driving relentlessly at his defender has racked up early fouls in the quarter, which is why the team got into the bonus late in the fourth. And I thought it was a very rosy a rosy picture of what was actually happening because Carl Anthony Towns, he's not a composed person. He's also not a composed basketball player. When he drives like the way he was last night, he is out of control. Yeah. It just so happens to occasionally work. Well, but yeah, I mean, it works in spite of him because he's a, just a really talented guy. <laughs> he is. Um, but the reason I wanted to stick on Cat for a minute is when we texted, you mentioned that, you know, he's the type of player that you just have to kind of grit your teeth yep. and bear it. And I said I wanted to have a conversation about this. Yep. I am really over this whole Carl Anthony Towns. Oh bit. yeah, um, and it's it's multifaceted. I was I was I've been sick of it for a while, but this particular season, after a Gobert trade and as Anthony Edwards ascends to whatever he becomes and building out a roster the way that we have, Carl Anthony Towns is nonsense. It's been accepted for so long because it's just a part, to your point, it's just a part of who he is as a player. You take the good Yeah, the and bad. he was unequivocally, from ownership down, the best thing the franchise had going for it. Absolutely 100% correct. But what that's bred is it's, it's an entitlement, and you mentioned in the, uh, in the description of this episode, you said, is it possible for Carl Anthony Towns to change? It's it's obvious it's not. The thing is, at what point do you start holding him accountable to some of these really detrimental aspects of his game? Because we do not do that. I joked with you at the end of that uh, Oklahoma City game when he had that kick-out three that he got called for an offensive foul on that almost cost us the game. There was 90 seconds left, and I was not kidding when I said he should have been benched for the remainder of the game. As, as just a principled stand against some of this tired bullshit that he's been doing forever. And last night, the way that they continued to go to him and dump the ball off to him every single possession, it's setting... I, I hate how how entitled he's become because he believes that to be his responsibility. The coaching staff obviously believes that's the best offensive option that they have, which is why they continue to look for it. I just didn't understand why that was, was so definitively the offensive choice over going to a guy like Anthony Edwards or, for Christ's sakes, getting back to moving the fucking rock. And just looking for, we have so many good, talented offensive options. The fact that we didn't just go back to ball movement, which netted us 41 points in the fourth quarter. Well, there's so many aspects of that that are worth digging deeper on. And the first one that I want to say, and I think this is why it's really important to say we got to grin and bear it here, is because he signed that Supermax extension in July, he's not even eligible to be traded until next July. So no matter what... This is a situation where, and probably to the benefit of the Timberwolves, you know, because I, I promise you they're not having conversations about, like, they, they, that sentence that I just said, they're not having that sentence. You know what I mean? In the front office. Yeah, yeah. Um, it yeah. literally means they have no choice but to try to figure out um, how to make this work with Carl because taking Carl off the team is, is not allowed. So... We have to find a way to figure that out. And so that's kind of where that optimism comes from. It's like, it's not, for me, it's not even worth 
entertaining the idea in my head because it's just not even a possibility. Um, now, if it was a possibility, and if we get further into the season and when we start talking about the offseason, I'm sure it's something we're going to talk about. You know, um, the kickout is, to me, as an encapsulation in the OKC game specifically, because he also had one against Utah. It was also bad. It wasn't as bad as the Oklahoma City one. And that Oklahoma City one, like I just said, is everything that is not good about Cat as a player. And it's it just was so horrible on so many levels, which is, you know, in and of itself, it's a low basketball IQ play, if not executed properly. Um, it's the type of play that you would have expected to have happened with, like, Poku trying to pull that, for example, because they understand that they're outmatched. And to win this game, we're going to have to win by, by hook or crook. The Timberwolves, all they needed to do to beat Oklahoma City was just string together some good possessions. So to, to, to yep. have an act of desperation like that when you're playing the least talented team in the league in game one of the season, it's... It's such a lack of situational awareness and personnel awareness of the other team that it's, it's almost hard to wrap your mind around. Because if you think about it like a risk-reward proposition here, the value of just simply getting one more point against an Oklahoma City Thunder team that is has one of the worst current-day rosters you know, in the history of the league is... It's mind-blowing to see out of any player, let alone a player of his talent level and stature in the league, and a guy that's in his eighth season in the NBA. It's incredibly disappointing. I mean, I was pissed. I was at the game. It happened on my side of the court. Um, I saw it immediately when it happened. I was screaming about it. I was very unhappy about it. Yeah, I think this is where I stand on it. I I am certainly not calling for a Carl Anthony Towns trade because, to your point, it can't happen. What I'm calling for is at a certain point, and I would tell this to, you know, my staff that I manage. I would tell this to a child. Like, at a certain point, it's show me, don't tell me. Like, we through action need to, need to see that there's progress being made and that you're listening and, you're, and you're, you're really taking in this information and trying to put it into practice. Carl Anthony Towns has reached a danger point with me as a fan where I'm actually, again, everybody on this team is going to make mistakes. Every single player. I'm not saying if you make a mistake, you, you deserve to be benched. What Carl Anthony Towns' worst habits are, they are so detrimental to the team and our ability to win that if, like Kat said before the Oklahoma City game, it's not time to be Jesus good, it's Christ. time to be great. It's like, okay, fine, you said it, Kat. It's not time to be good, it's time to be great. If you're doing things that Classic Michael Jordan quote. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I'm at a point with him where it's like, you know what, man? Then eventually somebody's going to have to hold you accountable to this. Because, like last night, for example... You look at the box score, and yeah, he didn't shoot great from the field, but you see 27 points, 8 rebounds. You go, okay, it was a good night. And you see him in the fourth quarter, and you see him get to the free throw line, whatever, whatever. You and I have seen him play enough times at this point that when I was seeing him drive recklessly into, into bodies, into the paint, with no other – his only goal was to shoot the ball. That He wasn't driving to look for a cutter. He was driving to score. 
And when he does that so recklessly, I'm like, you do understand this is a two-point game at home, Well, right? and Dan, there, there lies the problem, perhaps, with running the offense through Cat in those situations. Is I don't even think it's as, as simple as, like, he's only looking to score the ball. I, I, I do think that that is what he ultimately is doing, but it's just that he doesn't have the type of game in basketball IQ to let a play happen like that, where... It's the difference, yep. uh, you know, and obviously that's a very elite skill that not a lot of guys his size have. And so maybe, you know, the fix there, and I think that's one of the big fixes about acquiring Rudy Gobert is, is taking him out of those situations and emphasizing the aspects of his game that he's very good at. Um, this is not a Luka situation where Luka gets into the paint and then, or Jokic, get, they get into the paint and what the defense does dictates their next move. That Cat is not that type of player. He's never been that type of player. He can get incrementally better at that through reps and time, but we have the type of firepower on the team, to your point, that it's just not necessary. It's not necessary. And I'm glad you framed it that way, because that's and you did it in a, in a much more eloquent way. That's what I'm trying to say. Cat just doesn't have that in his bag, which is why when we went away, and I'm not saying Anthony Edwards is aces at this. No, because Anthony Edwards, Anthony Edwards is he a, is the guy that he's just doing it to score. I agree with you. But at the same time, this is why I was so frustrated late. If we were going to play that style where we dump to a guy and have them create as a fulcrum, they create all the offensive looks. I was like, you have to stop doing this with Carl Anthony Towns. Now, my argument is I'm not advocating you replicate that offensive possession with Anthony Edwards. What I'm saying is if you're going to do it, do it with Anthony Edwards. My preference would be don't do it at all. My preference would be in the first quarter of these games, we've unlocked what makes this team particularly so great, which is we have five guys that in their own way can put the ball yep. in the basket. So it should all be in service of what's our best look based on what the defense does and kill them with ball movement and make them work and make them move. And that's why Jaden McDaniels, there's a quote from D'Angelo Russell at the, after the Oklahoma City game. Jaden McDaniels had 19 points, and D'Lo said, yeah, he had 19 points. We never ran yep. a play for him. I don't know if they've ever like, ran a play, period, the... but yes. <laughs> and I'm not yeah, even well, saying that to be critical. Like, that is the scheme. No, 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 no. <laughs> And to be honest, I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point of this roster construction is you don't need to do those things that we've historically had to do because this group is so much more gifted and so much more talented than Rubes we've seen. Yeah, before. and, you know, Chris Finch so, offensively is cut from the same cloth as Steve Kerr, and he's very loath to go to high pick and roll. Um, but as we've seen kind of over and over with the Warriors and especially in the playoffs with the Warriors – they do eventually have to go to that in crunch time situations, or if it's the playoffs or the yes. Warriors, they go they go much earlier. They increase their pick and roll um, volume significantly in the playoffs from the regular season, and to me, it's the easiest way in fourth quarter crunch time situations to get the ball moving like it does in the first quarter. Because you know, there's a couple of things about the first verse four, which makes it that it's very hard to replicate what you do in the first quarter and the fourth quarter. The biggest one is just stamina um, and the amount of energy that it takes to play that style. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the main reasons why the team is 
has been in the, this season, starting off this way and last year, one of the best first quarter teams in the league is because they play at such a breakneck speed and they excel at it. Um, that it's, yeah. that's just, that's not a pace you can really keep up over the course of an entire yeah. game. But I think the way that when the game slows down and you're playing more in the half court, to me, all you really want with this, those five guys on the court is you just need one guy that is not involved in the direct action to commit and then you're off to the races. And so to me, the easy, by far the easiest way to do that is to just run a D-low Rudy Gobert high pick and roll. And whether it's yep. somebody coming off the corner to try to stop Rudy from getting a dunk, whether it's them trap, trying to trap D-low to get the ball out of his hands, whatever. There's, you cannot play that action two-on-two. Two. So someone has to commit in some kind of way. And so to me, that... And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Chris Finch is just, I think clearly that's not his, his, the type of basketball he wants to coach and play. Um, and so we might just be in a situation here as fans where he, he is going to need to exhaust every option before he comes to that conclusion. Um, because it yeah. seems like that's a pretty, pretty simple fix there is at the end of the game, you just run an endless stream of those. The risk is you could get an endless stream of D'Angelo Russell mid-range shots, which to his credit last night, he hit an unbelievably clutch shot, um, put uh, Mike Conley on his ass. But to me, that's, that's where the answer, the answer lies, is running more pick and roll with D'Lo and Rudy. I agree with you, and I think as the season progresses, the only adjustment I would make to that is you hope that at a certain point you could alternate it depending on matchup between D'Lo and, and Ant would be ideal. Um, but yeah. to, well, Ant, I, I mean, I make... think Ant, you got to grow Ant. And to me, I think you really need to activate Ant in those situations earlier in the game because at this point his, you know, his playmaking and decision-making chops are just not quite there. I mean, they're very far from yeah. where they are at D'Lo. Those are, you know, D arguably D'Lo's two best traits as a basketball player. Um, yes. So I think, you know, when it's a high leverage situation, I'm still, this is maybe a contrarian take, but I think if you've watched all the Wolves games, it's hard to come to any other conclusion. Um, in a high leverage situation, you do want the ball in D'Lo's hands because of his ability to make the correct play, even though he maddeningly you know, doesn't at times. Um, and, and we got to get him there. But I, he, he obviously is somebody that, and this is why we jumped on the idea that he could be one of the greats early in his career. He's a guy that grows exceptionally quick and can take yes. something from one game and apply it into the next game in a way that very, very, very few players in the NBA can actually do. And so I think we just got to get Ant reps and with time, I think clearly, yeah, that is going to be, that's the end game. That's like 20, you know, well, for us, we'd like it if it was 22-year-old, 21, 22-year-old ant. But, you know, realistically, 25, 26-year-old ant, that's what you're going to be seeing at the end of the game is him dribbling the ball out and ultimately making a play. No, I agree with you. D'Angelo Russell is the trusted hand at the moment. Um, I want to make one more point on Carl Anthony Towns, and I'll move off him um, until our next episode. But uh, 
Austin Rivers said something during his um, during his media day availability, and he said, you know, I he obviously believes very strongly in himself on the defensive end, and he said, but I understand that it starts with me bringing it every day in practice. It starts with me every time I have an opportunity to take the floor to demonstrate the habits that I want to hold the younger guys accountable, or why would they listen to me? Was his quote, and Carl Anthony Towns. And last night was a perfect encapsulation of a lot of what Carl Anthony Towns is. He was yelling at Jalen Noel um, during a possession where uh, a basket was scored and Cat had like kind of helped off because Jalen's guy had kind of gotten free. He yells at Jalen Noel. He complains endlessly, which is obviously never going to go away. He is completely unaware of the fact that I can't imagine anybody on that team sees him as a leader outside of the fact that he is one of their, obviously their best players. And it's, that's where I'm like, I'm at a weird point where I know this doesn't happen in the league. So I don't anticipate anything to change in Minnesota, but he is a uniquely frustrating human being when it comes to what he outwardly says and what his, what his thoughts are and what his opinion of himself and his game and and basketball is. And then what he executes on in a game that at some point I want somebody to put him in his place because last night when he was yelling at Jalen Noel, no more than four game minutes later, he gave up an egregious wide open corner three to Laurie Markinen helping off when he had no business helping. And nobody yells at Carl Anthony Towns because of course they don't. Like everybody makes mistakes. Carl Anthony Towns is awfully, awfully, awfully willing to make sure that somebody else hears him vocally when they make a mistake. And it just, he's just starting to piss me off, man. There's like so many layers to him that are starting to wear me thin that I'm like, I hope at some point Chris Finch actually in a, in a game, not at a practice, like in a game is like, Nope, that's it. (laughs) Like I'm going to, I'm going to sit you for six minutes, man. No foul trouble, no bullshit. I'm going to sit you because we just, if we want to be the team that we expect to be, you're one of our best players and you have to be that way all the time. If we want to reach the heights that we, we, you know, have said we want to get to. Yeah. It's one of the reasons uh, why Dan and for, if there's any, kids or young people listening to our pod it's one of the reasons that your parents or adults in your life do not tell you but they should tell you why honesty is the best policy in all situations is because of the beyond the obvious like morality of this of of lying it also is futile it doesn't work like to your point about the words that cat says no one who's believing them you know what I mean? Like it, 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 it has no impact whatsoever on how people view you. People view you by your actions and by and large, people are pretty good at, <laughs> at determining uh, the character of, of people that they are, they are around a lot. And so it, it doesn't actually matter what Kat says because his actions show you everything you need to know about what his character is currently. Um, but that's why, Dan, I mean, that's yeah. why this Rudy Gobert hedge is a, is like the alt. It's it's really, I can't think of another example of this where they are really just trying to import all of the things that Cat does not have without having to actually take Cat off the team. It's such a grand experiment. Yes. Uh, we were talking in the preseason pod about they were – center responsibilities right and how they this was an acknowledgement by the front office and coaching staff that they would never 
get to the heights that they would like with a player like Anthony Edwards with Cat at center. This is an aspect of it that perhaps we didn't consider enough is they also can't get where they need to get with his leadership and lack of it and his personality. And so to they're really, I mean, they are really trying to create the circumstances and create the situation where the only possible thing that Cat can do is the right thing because they're just putting, they're putting such a box around him right now uh, by insulating him from all the leadership responsibilities, from the defensive responsibilities, offensive rebounding, all of this stuff that he's just very bad at as a player. They are accommodating by bringing in guys that can fill those spots in an effort to just yes. only accentuate what he's good at. Um, it's very interesting, and it, but what it also shows, you know, because it's not like you could ever say that, <laughs> say that to a person, or say that, especially a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, but really anybody, anyone would be offended by the notion of that. Um, is he just can't find out that that's the case, <laughs> because otherwise there's going to be a lot of, a lot of problems chemistry wise. Well, and it's amazing, too. Uh, there was a play last night late in the game where Car- uh, Carl took a, uh, a contested long two uh, from the wing. Let me, let me say real line. quick on that one. I actually did not hate that one, perhaps as much as you are about to say you hated it or they hated it. Because I, I do think that that's the situation of it. It was not a great shot situationally, but that is, I just want to say real quick that that is a shot I actually wish he took more often in the flow of the game. But again, I yield to you on that one. No, I don't care what our personal feelings on it are. Chris Finch's reaction tells you what he has said to Kat about, and the team about that shot. And it goes to a, a grander point that we're trying to make with this guy. When Chris Finch reacts that way, it's because clearly this is something that they've talked about. That shot is not a 19 seconds in the shot clock shot. That is not what we're looking for, and he took it anyway. And again, I agree with you. I did not hate it as much, but part of the reason I didn't hate it is because, like, the two possessions prior, he was just barreling into guys' chests and not getting buckets on it. Uh, Rudy Gobert bailed him out on the tip end on one of them. But it was like, I was like, you know what? That's at least a shot that I think Cat can knock down. The rest of those shots were so low percentage. This was weirdly like a... No, that should theoretically be a high... I don't know what the stats are, but that should be a high percentage shot and should be a big part of his bag as he ages. Um, yes. And that, that really that. is one of those things where, uh, again, we're talking about Rudy's presence hedging against Cat's worst instincts. Is he really in a half-court situation? It's exceedingly difficult for him to, to barrel into the lane because of where Rudy's going to be standing on the court. And... It, it creates a situation where you definitely want to see him rise up and just shoot over dudes more often. Easier said than done when you're playing Utah and they're one of the few teams that can match the length of the Timberwolves. They had an absolutely massive front court. Um, yes. But uh, the type of play you would, you would like to see more often. And I, I want to say this before. I, I'd like to talk about D'Angelo Russell and the start he's had to the season. But um, yeah. one thing that I think is worth monitoring here for Wolves fans, and it, it's going to be a really tricky thing, um, is 
we have two contradictory impulses happening here offensively, which is the desire, Chris Finch's desire to run a flowing egalitarian offense that also has the fixed outcome of our best players get the shots, the most shots and in the spots they want. Uh, so those two things are pretty contradictory, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, you see it with a team like Utah last night because they don't have guys that you just... I mean, it's malpractice, frankly, for the Wolves to have a situation where Cat shoots as much as he did in the first game of the season. When you're a team like Utah and you're running that egalitarian style, you know, the ball really can't stick because there's not... No one can really lay claim that they deserve more shots than anyone else out there. And so the ball just, you know, naturally kind of goes to wherever wherever it's open. The Wolves want to play that style, but also want to have the outcome that that style yields cat shooting threes. That style yields D'Angelo Russell driving and kicking. That style yields lots of plays where Ant gets to the rim. So it's interesting. I think that's something we're going to have to really look out for because... You know, I think that, like we were saying, the best thing that they have demonstrated so far is their ability to improvise and transition and and flow. Do they need to, at some point, adjust and run more plays to get their desired outcomes? Well, what's weird, you bring that up. You're like, you know, Utah runs that egalitarian style. Here's their shots. Laurie Markinen, Jordan Clarkson, Conley, and Beasley got yep. the most shots. That's what they would have wanted before the game True. if they had drawn it up that way. And the reality, too, and, and this is a point that I want to bring up before we talk about D'Lo because we really do need to get to that. Last night, another bad outcome for us. There's been no reporting yet today on the severity, but Kyle Anderson played one minute. Um, he tweaked his back. It sounded like spasm, so he only played one minute and then was out the rest of the night. Kyle Anderson, you know, you and I obviously were huge uh, proponents of, of that move as well, bringing in Kyle Anderson, a guy we like a lot. But I think we're starting to see where he is going to be so important before between the start and the finish of games. Because the start and finish of games are going to be the two big lineup of Gobert and Towns. But in between, Kyle Anderson helps unlock when he can play four. He helps unlock those lineups that have Gobert or Towns just themselves. You know, And I think without Kyle Anderson, because in the first game he obviously played 20 minutes, Kyle Anderson is really the only guy on that second unit because last night it went to Nas Reed, Torian Prince. They can't do what Kyle Anderson can do, even though I think both those guys are quality players in the rotation. Kyle Anderson is uniquely qualified to be the four in those lineups when Gobert and Towns aren't sharing the floor. So hopefully this is not an injury that nags him for too long and he doesn't have to sit for very long because I do believe that will help a ton during these periods of the game where we've seen huge droughts. Because that's when you're going to see a lot of lineups that don't have Gobert and Towns on the floor simultaneously. Yeah, for sure. And his main impact there is on the defensive end. Because what we're really struggling with here defensively is playing this drop defense and um, you know collapsing a little bit on drivers while also maintaining integrity at the three-point line. Well, we're, we're, we have no integrity currently at the three-point line. Um but Kyle Anderson is somebody that is one of the guys currently on the team that can do that really well. Yeah, and our lack of integrity uh, on the three-point line is a big reason why we're struggling so much uh, 
on the glass as well. Um, Jim Pete isolated one play specifically last night where Jaden McDaniels just didn't put a body on Jordan Clarkson as he crashed. Well, that's what happens when you don't have integrity on the three-point line because if you're contesting those shots, you naturally have a feel for where that guy is and what he's doing, and you can help to keep him off the glass. We just have guys free range coming in from the three-point line on misses, and nobody has a body. So it's just a bunch of guys coming in, uh, which is why we've struggled so much trying to gather these rebounds and giving teams a bunch of extra possessions. Um, let's go to D'Lo. I'll let you lead with D'Lo because I agree with you. You mentioned it briefly uh, earlier on in this podcast that you've been impressed with with his start here these first two games. What do you like him from D'Lo? The biggest thing for D'Lo that is, that's impressive to me is he has adapted Chris Finch's favorite attribute about Jordan McLaughlin into his game, which is we are getting into our offense even on made baskets when there's still a 20 on the shot clock. And so I think it all starts with that, is D'Lo is getting the ball up the court fast. And when we are crushing teams, these two teams in the first quarter of these games, it's because of that. It's because we're playing at such a breakneck pace and we have the athletes and the skilled players to do so. That That's a very difficult way to play basketball. And D'Lo is currently the reason why we are able to do that. His ability to get us into our actions fast and playmake have been elite so far this season. Yeah, he's been a, a huge bright spot. Um, last night's game, I, I was so impressed with the way that he was he was orchestrating the offense. And obviously it helps that he was knocking down some shots. Like, that's a huge part of his game. So, I mean, scoring the basketball and doing it efficiently is something that we're going to be monitoring. <laughs> it's something he has a difficult time with, the efficiency piece. I mean, that's the swing exactly. piece for him. Um, it's like that's why, that's, the, that's why he's not a star player is because that comes and goes. And to your point, when it's there, he's, he, plays, he, has this, he plays like a star. He absolutely does. And I also want to say this. You mentioned getting into our action early. And again, I'm not a basketball savant. I haven't coached. I haven't played in the league. I will just tell you from a layman's perspective what this looks like in practice. So when you get into early offense, sometimes what you'll see, and Philadelphia is a good example of this with James Harden because they pound the hell out of the rock as they're setting up half-court offense. But the Timberwolves do their own version of it. And what it is is like guys kind of standing around, kind of trying to get set in the right spot that they would have been you know, on the – you know, on the sheet, and then they start the offense. Whereas I love when D'Lo, and specifically Jordan McLaughlin, because a lot of times he's playing with kind of an odd group and, and a lot of second unit guys sometimes, like they don't wait for everybody to be set. They get into the initial action quickly. And again, it doesn't mean that the rest of the play is perfectly set up, but what that what that leads to is when the action starts quickly, if something falters or falls apart, you can very much back out and have plenty of time to reset. What drives me nuts is when we're getting into our initial action with like 14 on the clock, because if it fails, we do not have enough time to reset. And so whatever play comes off is going to be somebody just trying to create something out of nothing. And so I've really appreciated, to your point, D'Angelo Russell kind of starting the offense early, usually on some kind of single or double screen, and then if it doesn't work, if the roller isn't able to get free, if Cad isn't able to pop for an open shot, then he's able to come back out and start a second set to see if we can actually create a good look. And I would, I'm very hopeful because to your point about pace, 
nobody can keep that breakneck pace for a 48-minute game. But I would argue that even if you're not going to play at a breakneck pace, you can get into offense earlier. It doesn't mean you have to sprint dribble up the floor. It just means when you get it, when you get the ball up the floor, just start your set. Just go. Just start. If it's going to start with the screen, if it's going to start with the pass to the wing and there's going to be some, some off-ball screening, whatever, like just get into it sooner because, honestly, in the third quarter, that's why the offense got so stagnant. It just so happened to match with Utah opening or starting to hit a bunch of these open shots. But we were just getting into offense way too slow. Um, and you're right. When D'Lo's in the game, that has been something we've been able to avoid for the most part. Yeah, and then the final guy that we haven't talked about much here in their starting lineup is Jaden McDaniels. And I can tell you, Dan, from being at the game, it's very apparent on the screen as well. But I can confirm to you from being from seeing him up close and personal that the man has absolutely grown. And um, he's got to be close to seven foot at this point. And he, you and I were more skeptical than I think most Wolves fans that he would take a big leap this season, not skeptical about his long-term outlook, just about what his level of play could be this season. And through two games, he's, again, another unequivocal bright spot, which kind of, and I don't want to just immediately pivot off of Jaden here, but Dan, this is another reason, honestly, as we talk through this, to be optimistic. The only two real bad spots right now on the team individually are Ant and Cat. And they yeah. they are not going to play at this level for the season. So No they're not. You know, when as things normalize here, just like how Jalen Noel won't have a thirty some PER, as things normalize, um those two players are gonna play a lot better you got to feel like Rudy is steady. If we can get, you know, D'Lo at some level like this, and then the key being that Jaden's improvements that he's shown in these two games are real and he can build on it, that's, that's, a reason, that's reason for a lot of optimism. Yeah, and, and you know, let's just let's finish with, with this being an overriding, you know, kind of thing. Like, the early season in the NBA is fucking yeah. weird. Like, especially for teams that have a lot of moving pieces. Like, Boston looks great. It's because they have complete continuity. Their starting five is identical to the one that made the finals last year. Teams that had some flux with their roster and made some huge additions that they're trying to bring in, a la Cleveland, Denver, obviously not due to acquisition, but, but coming back from injury, Minnesota. Like, it takes time. And to be honest, like, the first 10 to 15 games of the NBA season, that's your actual no season. That's what... That's what actually is going to help you work through, A, the rust, and to get your legs under you, but B, to be able to figure out some of this stuff. Because, obviously, the starting five for the Timberwolves has looked clunky as hell for long stretches of both of these games. I anticipated that. I'm not disappointed in that at all. Um, the thing that I, I'm very bullish on with this team is that, to your point about the Warriors comp, they can put up points in bunches very quickly. So there's not going to be games that the Timberwolves are out of. This team is a team that can bounce back very quickly in-game, is going to be able to put runs on people. And some of the issues offensively, those will get worked out. The defensive ones, those are a little more tricky to navigate as the season goes on. But, again, my argument is some of the defensive deficiencies are coming from players that 
I believe are actually plus defenders. So again, like Anthony Edwards has had a rough start to the season. Jaden McDaniels hasn't been a world beater on the defensive end of the floor. However, I do believe both of those guys have it in them to be very good defensive players. And so, again, as the season progresses, I have no doubt that some of these things are going to self-correct just due to Yeah, and let's be honest about the caliber of team that Utah has been through two games. You know, what are stats? Stats are just simply a record of what has happened. Um, And obviously they have a lot of predictive power, but I'm going to illustrate to everybody uh, how little predictive power they have in a small sample which is to say the Utah Jazz, in the two games they've played, have played at the level, basically, of the 92 Dream Team, Um, which is Colin Sexton, 34 PER, Walker Kessler, 33. Both of those marks would be, I believe, best of all time over the course of an entire season. all-time marks. Uh, Lowry Markkinen, 27. Jordan Clarkson, 25. Jared Vanderbilt, 23. Mike Conley, 20. Kelly Olenek, 20, Malik Beasley, 18, Rudy Gay, 18, Taylor Horton Tucker, lowest on the team at 14-2. So, you know, as a record of what has happened, that, that, that means that the team they played last night, this is not the team that they will be, obviously, over the course of the season. If they were, the, if they were that, they would go 82-0. and um, The team that they played last night, played an elite game last night and you can talk about oh we let them do this we let them a lot of that is fan talk honestly when you do that you're playing another team you know what I mean (laughs) um they they played a fantastic game a lot of that you know could the Timberwolves have played this is the better way to look at it is not that we let them do this is could the Wolves have played a better game and if they had played a better game, would they have won? And the answer is yes, <laughs> they would have. And do we think that the Wolves will play better on average going forward? Maybe not Maybe not this next game they have tomorrow um, against OKC, but, you know, fast forward to January, February, we do, absolutely. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's just a real reality check about, you know, what, what the beginning of the season is. And it's, and it's really also just like what cherry-picking small quantities of games does. Because we all got to remember this, man. It's the NBA on any given night. This is the difference between a star player, superstar player, and just a guy that is in the NBA. And this is what we just said about D'Lo. It's consistency. You know, Malik Beasley and Jordan Clarkson, they cannot consistently score in the high 20s. They are absolutely capable of doing it one night. <laughs> and, uh, yes, and that's the same with Kelly Olenek and Lowry Markkinen and Colin Sexton and Mike Conley at this point of his career. And so they, they played a game where everything clicked for those guys. The Timberwolves played a game where two of their three best players struggled to some degrees. And so, you know, the outcome is the outcome. Um, it's not, and it doesn't need to be a grand indictment of the experiment um, it also, you know, we also don't need to be flippant about it. You know, they didn't play a very good game. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, my confidence hasn't shaken. And frankly, having this conversation with you, I feel more optimistic about it than I did before we hopped on the call. Because, you know, you feel really emotional when you're a fan of a team and you're watching a game. Um, 
but when you when you take a step back and you're a little more sober about it and you kind of just look at what actually happened um it it's it's really not a we're really not talking about a bad situation here no it's not a bad situation and and to be honest like to put more stats to it utah currently has the highest point per game average and the second highest point differential. So, I mean, like clearly through two games, these, these, uh, these small sample sizes are skewed uh, to a tremendous degree. Um, my final point on the Wolves as we continue forward, kind of what I'm looking for as we progress forward and, and as we watch these games coming up here this week, I would like to see us at some point this week, I'd like to see us play a complete yeah. game. Just one complete game where I feel like offensively and defensively, we were pretty locked in for all 48 minutes. Um, we finally maybe win the turnover battle. We clean up some of the rebounding issues. I'm not ex- expecting perfection. A complete game would be nice. And more importantly, you know, we looked at it before the season started and everybody sees what the schedule looks like. It was a, a bunch of what are going to be tanking teams. And we said, this is great. You know, we get to start with all these bad teams. It's also probably the best thing that could have happened to the Wolves, not just because we're playing, you know, worse teams, but also it should be a humbling thing that they take through the rest of the season where it's like, you cannot just assume that if Indiana or Orlando or Sacramento, Oklahoma City, Houston are coming to town, that you can just fuck around and play yep. with your food. Like you need to show up, you need to play a complete game. And if you get a lead, you need to put this team away that's how our guys are going to get some rest. That's how we're going to get, you know, and to a 28-minute game. You guys need to put these these people away. You know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to, to establish a big lead in these games, put these teams away um, and take care of business. So I, that's kind of what I'm hoping to see here over the course of the next week. Um, and I don't I, – I fully anticipate, you know, we're going to play San Antonio two times in a row. We're going to play Oklahoma City tomorrow. One of those three games I fully expect to come out come out of and texting you irrationally about how good I feel. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly felt that way after the first three minutes last night. Um, yeah, no shit. <laughs> but you know, a couple points here, which is they're also, we should give the team their flowers in one regard of that comeback that they had in the last, you know, 90 seconds or two minutes of the game was very impressive. I mean, the only way they yep. were able to force overtime was by doing exactly what they did is getting a stop on every possession, more or less, and scoring more or less on every possession. So that was really impressive. And then the other part of it is, like, this is just, you know, this is how games go, man, is you, you know, teams will go up big early. Sometimes you're able to bury them. Some, more often than not, the other team is going to mount a run and come back. And if you're a good team, you know, you take that counter punch from them and then you bury them in the third and fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to see, I think it's, it's definitely within the realm of possibility that they're going to drop another one of these games here early on. Uh, I will say San Antonio and OKC significantly softer <laughs> than the Utah Jazz. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's about as soft as it gets here. We have three games coming up in the next, was it three and four, three and five, um, two against San Antonio, one against uh, OKC, I mean, come on, man. Those are the two worst teams in the league. Uh, so it's more opportunity for them to to build. And what I like, I like what you said, Dan, about you cannot just come in and fuck around. What I'm very happy to say is that I think that that's what it looked like last year when they had a bad start to the season. 
which they did. It's worth no remembering that the most fun season that we've had in you know 20 years or whatever. They were very bad at the beginning of the season. I was there personally when they lost to Orlando and New Orleans. Um, it doesn't look like that to me. I don't. I'm not finding these games, these first two games, and the struggles that they've had in them to be problems of effort or hubris. It it really very much just looks like a team that is figuring out the best way to play together and the best and for the coaching staff, the best combinations of players and in what situations. And so, you know, that last night was a game where, you know, and this is what, this is what made that one of the aspects of what made them a really fun team and a really a team you could be proud of is even in a lot of games that they lost, I didn't feel any shame in their loss. I felt like they played, a really good game and they just lost the game. Um, there were obvious moments in last night's game where you could say that that wasn't the case, but I do think on the whole, um, they, they've, they're playing good games. They're just not at this point able to execute with the personnel that they have at the level that the talent suggests, which, um, which also suggests that they will be able to in the future. Yeah, well, and I, I want to do this periodically throughout the season. We're going to finish with this. Um, as some of you may not know, Rick has uh, partial season tickets to the Wolves, so he's in the building for not an insignificant number of these home games. He was in there, as you mentioned earlier, for opening night against Oklahoma City. Are you in the building at all yeah, this Yeah, we're in there on Monday, and we'll be more behind. We'll, we'll be behind the Wolves bench, so we'll get a little bit of a pulse on uh, body language and things of that nature. Okay. Well, and you may not have anything for a segment like this, but I'm going to bring it up and, and we can prep for it, you know, on future episodes. But tales from the <laughs> lower bowl, um, you know, things things that you've noticed in the building, because one of the things I'll say, just having watched these games on TV, uh, the fans have been phenomenal yeah. in these first two games, um, which is obviously the the. The crowds got really good in the second half of last season. You mentioned they started off yep. really poorly. So second half last season, the crowds were great. So what are you seeing in the building? What was that first game? Like? Well, it's the thing that's really funny, Dan, is this, and this is, is this not just life in a nutshell, is um, the thing that you wanted more than anything, as soon as you get it, the amount of time before you feel entitled to that and you take it for granted yeah. is so small. Yeah. minuscule um all of us the wolves got booed last they got booed in the okc game dan <laughs> um all of us have all of us can take stock of our lives and look at aspects of our lives where we think to ourselves man before i had this part of my life i would have killed to have that and now you're just you know like it's just life you know now you're like it's just part of my everyday life and now there's more things i want you know and that's just part of being a human and i say that to say that yes, Dan, that it was an antsy crowd. I, I was joking with my wife about it. I was like, I really think the only thing that would have been deemed acceptable is if we had just kicked the shit out of them every possession of this entire game. And it's just so funny. I was la we were joking about this last night when the fans were booing. Um, and I get it. Trust me. There were definitely times when I felt the desire to 
you know, to let them have it. But the thing is, that's really funny. And the lack, we were talking about Cap's lack of self-awareness. How about the lack of self-awareness from the Timberwolves fans to be like, oh, we do not tolerate bad basketball here. <laughs> I, I couldn't help. I, it's so funny you presented oh it this way. I goodness. caught myself. I was watching this uh, game last night with my wife and son, and in that, in that third quarter, I was so disgusted at a point, right? I was, so they, I can't, I wish I could remember the exact sequence. But anyway, Utah hit, hit another open shot. And I think it extended their lead to like four or something like that. And I just audibly was like, fucking call a timeout. God <laughs> yeah. damn it. I was like, what are we doing? And then I checked myself in real time. I was like, wow, you can really tell there's been a change in this franchise when like a four-point deficiency in the third quarter of a home game leaves me just apoplectic. Dude, for <laughs> real. And then you just look at their mix, and, like, right now, if this is where they ended in the season, it would be a huge disappointment. Uh, there would be, you know, there would be some problems. But this this just illustrates how quickly things have changed here. Is right now, Dan, they are 11th in offensive rating and 16th in defensive rating. Going into last season, <laughs> if I had said we will end the year 11th in offense and 16th on defense, you get laughed out of the room. And that's last season Correct. when they won 46 games. Think of if you said that three years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, it, and that's one of those things. When I said I'm going to have my unfiltered opinions. That's what's fun, man. I'm it's a fan, fun. man. Yeah, I don't apologize. I don't my think fandom. you should. Like, it's fun, man. Like, that's what's fun about being a fan. Yeah, it's irrational, it's emotional, um, but I did find it, It I hope that the Timberwolves fans, and they won't, are able to ch- kind of check themselves a little bit, because I get it if this was game 43, and you've watched 42 prior games of underwhelming hoops, and you want to start throwing some boot birds out there, in the first two games of the year, fucking chill, like just chill. Yeah, we gotta relax. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Well, this was fun. Uh, two games in, they got three. Is it three this week or four this? I week? think they, they got. got the they Sunday must have. Day. They must have four because they have three Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday. They have three games, so three and four there. So they, it's got to be four. Yeah, yeah. Two San Antonio, Oklahoma City, and LA on Friday, and San Antonio for a third time on Sunday. Um, but no, this is going to be a really good week. We got three kind of cupcake games coming up that we should be able to take care of business. And then we got Lakers on Friday, which is going to be undoubtedly really fun. So we'll be back on. We might do a midweek. For sure. Pod. We'll see how the week's going for us. Um, but we'll definitely be back next weekend, if not midweek. But this was fun, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think, I think you guys should expect us to have another conversation um, after the two San Antonio games in OKC. So we'll have more than doubled the amount of games in which we've talked about here. <laughs> All right, see you, man. Cannot wait. Take care.